Welcome to the Covenant Journey Podcast. We hope to inform, inspire, and encourage you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love of our Lord Jesus as we explore the timeless treasures of the Bible. Join us now as we explore God's Word. On this Covenant Journey Bible Podcast, we're going to continue our journeys through the Holy Land. I'm Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Covenant Journey. As we go to Israel, the Holy Land, we typically like to start in the north because it is there that lays the foundation for what happens in Jerusalem when Jesus goes there, particularly that last week. So we spend some time in the north. We first go to Capernaum. We travel all around Capernaum where Jesus ultimately performed most of his early ministry and many, many of his miracles, obviously Nazareth, where he grew up, he comes there after his reputation becomes well known, the word of mouth travels, and now Jesus, who was raised in Nazareth, comes back to Nazareth, and in Luke chapter 4, he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, which is the beginning of his ministry after he comes out of the wilderness, having been tempted by the devil and overcome those temptations in the wilderness. But we go back even further before Jesus to some of the other stories that unfold in the northern part of Israel, and this one is in Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is a mountain that has about 700 feet above sea level, a beautiful view of the Mediterranean when you go on top of Mount Carmel. It's a series of mountains. There's actually a place there where the Carmelite nuns actually have ultimately purchased a location many, many years ago. Many of these uh, purchases were done long before 1948, where people came to Israel to purchase these various sites where historic biblical activity occurred. And when Israel became a nation in May 1948, it ultimately agreed to continue to allow these private landowners to continue owning and even now operating their facilities. And there is a place there where you can go to the top of Mount Carmel. Uh, you look down and there still is the Kishon Brook, which is mentioned in the book of First Kings chapter 18. It is still visible. It's a beautiful sight. When you go to the very top, you can look in all directions, and looking in one direction uh, westward, you will see the Jezreel Valley, this massive valley that runs north and south through a large part of Israel. Uh, on the other side of that, a little bit further south, is Megiddo, or Mount Megiddo, Armageddon, Har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo as it is known in the book of Revelation, and Mount Megiddo as it's known, or Megiddo as it's known in the Old Testament. If you look to the east, you'll be able to see in the distance on a clear day the Mediterranean Sea. So it is a beautiful view. We travel to Mount Carmel. We walk to the top of this building, and we have this incredible view of the valley below. Also in that valley below is one of the Israeli Air Force bases where the aircraft actually not only land down in the valley, but they taxi and are stored and maintained underground. This is one of several Israeli military bases, but this one is very significant in that the aircraft actually taxi and they are maintained and they stay underground until they are deployed 
But in this particular place is where we then go through the story of 1 Kings chapter 18. It is here where Elijah confronted the 450 prophets of Baal or Baal. These uh, serve the wicked king Ahab and his equally wicked wife Jezebel in 1 Kings. It begins in verse 16 and it goes through verse 45. After three and a half years of drought in the land, Elijah confronted the people, uh, asking them to choose between the true God and the false God, Baal, because they were synchronistic in the sense that they were sometimes combining worship of Yahweh with worship of these false gods, including Baal or Baal. And in some cases, they were completely abandoning God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were only pagans, although they were Jewish in their ancestry and their upbringing. So this is where that amazing confrontation came. We have heard stories about this, but I want you to think through the whole process. So in chapter 18, verse 1, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So this drought has occurred. God is giving Elijah a message to go show yourself to this wicked king Ahab and his equally wicked wife Jezebel. So Elijah goes to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman? Famine is very severe there. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So God had his own people planted right in the very evil empire of Ahab and Jezebel. So Ahab ultimately says to Obadiah, goes through the land, to all the springs and to all the valleys, and perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it, and Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Obadiah now encounters Elijah. And he says, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And Elijah said, It is I. And Elijah says, Go tell your lord, go tell your master, Ahab, that Elijah's here. Obadiah is concerned about that because he says, Well, I know if I do that, the Lord could transport you away anywhere, and when I come back, you're not going to be here, and I'll be killed. But Elijah tells him, go tell Ahab, I'm here. So Obadiah goes, and he meets with Ahab, and he told him that Elijah was there, and he wanted to see him. So Ahab saw Elijah. Ahab said to him, and listen to this, verse 17, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. Listen to that incredible boldness, telling Ahab he's the troubler. Now, that doesn't just happen overnight. Elijah had to be pressing in to the Lord on a regular basis so that he was bold enough to put his life on the line. And this is just the first time in this story where he literally puts his life on the line, calling the king a troubler. I have not troubled Israel, but you have, he says, and your father's house. It goes all the way back to your ancestry. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal or Baal 
and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So there's 850 of them he wants. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions, speaking to the people? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. They were dead silent. They don't want to answer him. Some of them are pretty content with the pagan worship. Some of them don't want to risk getting killed by Jezebel and Ahab. So he said, uh, let uh, two bulls, he said, uh, be given to us. And let them choose one bull. Let these prophets choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He's God. So let's have a public showing. Have identical altars. Identical situations. No fire. You all pray. And then after you, I'll pray. And then we'll see who answers by fire. So he, they took the bull, these 850 prophets. They took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from the morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself. He's going to the bathroom. Elijah is taunting them. Or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he must be wakened. And they cried and they cut themselves. And they're wailing and they're cutting themselves and they're lashing themselves and blood is going everywhere. After the custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. They're mutilating themselves. It seems to be quite prominent in pagan religions. Self-mutilization self-atonement, whereas Jesus took upon himself in his own body, being mutilated for us, separated because of sin, crushed because of our iniquity, so that we would not have to mutilate ourselves but trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. And it says at midday, that passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was still no voice, no one answered, not, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. He's allowed them to go on for hours and hours, and the scene is chaotic. They're exhausted. They're sweaty. They're bleeding all over their body, and nothing happens. So Elijah says, okay, come near me. And he prepared the altar that the Lord, uh, and he, the altar of the Lord, that had been thrown down. What? You mean it had been rejected? It had been neglected? Yes, he had to build it back up. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar. So he did a little different. He's actually 
trenching it, as great as uh, would contain two seas of seed, so it's quite substantial. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he did. They did. He said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. It was soaked. Now, this is a, this is a time of famine, three and a half years. It's a time of famine. Where do they get the water? This is very precious. And now he's wasting it. He's putting it on the wood so that the wood just couldn't ignite with a match or a torch. He's putting it on the stones. He's wasting so much water on it that it's actually overflowing and it goes around the perimeter and it fills the trench. And you can just imagine that act alone, wasting water in the time of a famine where Ahab is trying to find pastures to save some of the animals, let alone the people. He's putting everything on the line. And then he prays to God he says, um, answer me, Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have, they have turned their backs on you. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said, to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and he slaughtered them there. Now, still the rain hasn't come, but Elijah put everything on the line. Let me just fast forward. Same day, Elijah tells his servant, because now he's down at the bottom by the Kishon brook, and all of this has just happened. It's becoming later in the day. It's a dramatic presentation of the Lord's presence and power, of who the real true God is. But Elijah now prays that there would be rain. And he says, uh, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of rushing of rain. Now, there's not a cloud in the sky. It's completely clear sky. So Abraham, Ahab went up and he ate and he drank. And then Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his uh, face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, there's nothing. He said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. You better get down, Ahab, because the rains are going to come and you won't be able to get down. Listen to this faith that he has. One, he puts his life on the line. He puts his life on the line. He doesn't hold anything back. Two, he prays for rain and there's nothing. And it takes one time, two times, third trip, fourth trip, nothing, fifth trip, zero, sixth trip, there is nothing, seventh trip, oh, there is a little cloud forming over the Mediterranean, I see it. 
And with that alone, he tells King Ahab, you better get out of here because the gusher's about ready to fall. That cloud becomes a bigger cloud and it pours down rain. Now, it's an amazing story to read about Elijah. And we go to those actual places. But it's easy to skip through this story and understand the human dimension here. We read about this story because Elijah was willing to put everything on the line, including his life. We want to see a miracle, but we don't want to put ourselves in the position where we need a miracle. It is in those times when we need a miracle that oftentimes God acts, and there is a miracle. Elijah needed a miracle. But he could have avoided that situation because he was not wanting to put his life on the line. He was scared. It's easy to be scared. How that is overcome is by pressing in with relationship on a regular basis with the Lord and knowing that this is absolutely what he wants you to do and that life is not so precious as to sacrifice it um, on worldly things, but it is more precious to put it into the hands of the Lord and he will protect you even if it's not in the way that you think it should be. And so he was willing to put himself in a life-and-death situation where he needed a miracle, and consequently now we read of the miracle, and that's why we hear the story of Elijah. It is those people who put themselves in a position or found themselves in a position where they need a miracle, where God ultimately intervenes and does a miracle, that we remember them. Remember Moses in Egypt, Esther in Persia, The three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, Elijah facing the prophets of Baal and the Asherah, and King Ahab and Jezebel ready and willing to destroy him. We need to live in radical faith where we put our lives on the line, and the only way to do that is every day, like an athlete training for the Olympics. You don't just wake up and start in the Olympic Games You have to train every day, little by little by little. Every day, press into the Lord through the Word of God, through prayer, through listening to praise and worship, through fellowship, through others. Ask God to show you His will. He will do it. He will grow you. He will disciple you from day to day so that when the testing does come, He will prepare you. And then we can read about your exploits that will echo through history Elijah was just a human being like you and me. He's not superhuman. He has the same weaknesses, same problems that he has to deal with that you and I have to deal with. He is an example, however, of someone who has radically given their lives over to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God intervened, and now we read about him because his story echoes through eternity. For more information, visit covenantjourney.org. You've been listening to the Covenant Journey Podcast. We hope that we have informed, inspired, and encouraged you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love for our Lord Jesus as we've explored the Word of God. Visit covenantjourney.org where you can obtain additional notes and information to enhance your study of the Scriptures. The website again is covenantjourney.org. You can also email us at cj at covenantjourney.org. Share this podcast with your friends. Visit covenantjourney.org.